And it is good to be here. Did you take that with you? I don't know what it is. Okay. It's good to be here with you guys this morning, and um, yeah, I appreciate you. I know the roads were not easy for us driving in, and cold outside, but hopefully um, we'll keep it warm in this room for a little bit here this morning. Um, New Year's is upon us, and uh, many of us find ourselves in the midst of reevaluating it, our life. It's a, a cultural thing. Maybe our family, our health, our finances, perhaps. This involves setting goals and oftentimes making a plan. The dawning of a new year also offers us a natural time to reevaluate and perhaps recommit our spiritual life. Over the next couple of weeks, what we are going to, um, we're going to tap into this cultural moment of resetting and take a look at several commitments that we have here at Parkview East as a people. And we want nothing more than for them to be commitments that we share, not just corporately as a people, but that these would be commitments that individually, personally, you would be able to make in your life as well. In fact, these commitments are honestly, they're not really that unique to Parkview East, but they are critical to the life of a Christian. There's nothing magical about a new year. However, we do want to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to grow in the image and likeness of Jesus. So next couple of weeks, um, the focus, we're gonna, we've been studying the book of Mark, and we're going to take a break from that for a couple more weeks. We'll start back, that back up later in January. Um, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on core commitments we share as a people. This week, we're going to be talking about the Bible our commitment to the Holy Scriptures. Next week, we will be talking about prayer, our commitment to prayer. Then the third week, um, something that I, I want to do that's unique here, and, and we're going to part ways just for a couple of weeks from Central Campus this week and next week. The messages are not necessarily aligned, so I just want you to be aware of that. Um, we have a couple of times throughout the year that we have the freedom to do that. Um, and one for us that's a, a rhythm that I want us to establish, we did it last year and I want us to do it every year, is around Martin Luther King weekend, is that we would set aside one Sunday where we talk specifically, and, and this isn't one thing that we're going to do just one Sunday a year, obviously if you've been here you know that, um, it's something that is in our culture, it's in our world, um, the, the idea of racial reconciliation is a challenge, especially this year has really boiled to the surface in a lot of ways, um, and so uh, we're going to dedicate that Sunday, the, the 14th, I believe it is, to this idea of racial harmony, racial reconciliation um, in light of Martin Luther King's holiday the next day. So on um, the following week, we'll sp talk specifically about our commitment to Jesus. So those four weeks kind of give you an idea of where we're going, where we're at right now. Um, this morning, to help us, remember our focus this morning is our commitment to the Bible to the Bible. And so to help us, we are going to go to what I would say is maybe one of the richest chapters in all of Scripture that speaks specifically about the Bible, and it's Psalm 119. And so um, as a sign of our commitment to the Scriptures, I encourage you to bring your Bible with you to church on Sunday. I don't put the words up there for that purpose so we can be familiar with how to navigate our Word. Um, if you do not have a copy of, of God's Word, there are copies here that we, somebody can bring around to you, so just put your hand up. But it, it will be really helpful for you if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 119, kind of right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. I'm going to read for us specifically verses 9 through 16 will be our focus this morning. And so Psalm... 119, starting in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you this morning um, again for the opportunity to meet as a people, Father. Um, And Lord, I pray just now as we open up your word, Father, that your spirit would be in this place, that it would reveal your truth, that it would expose our hearts, Father, and it would lead us to live lives of obedience, Father. We thank you that you have given us this word. There, there is no confusion of what you expect from us and require of us, Father. Um, Lord, and there is no confusion based on your word of who you are and how you have provided for us, Lord. We love you, and we pray that you would um, be with us now in this place. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Just a quick side note, this morning there is no nursery, there is no Sunday school, and so kids are in here, all right? So as a result, I'm going to try to keep it a little shorter, and every time I say that, I go about 10 minutes longer than I had planned, so just whatever. Um, and it'll, it'll be a little different. The beginning of the, of the message will be maybe what is a, like a message I would typically teach, and then the second half will be um, largely practical, okay? So... Um, so that, that being said, there's food out there too. If your stomach starts to growl or somebody next to you, you can feel free to get out there. There's no shame in the game. Get you a donut. Um, those have been sanctified. They've been prayed over. Um, it's just a good way to finish the year off, right? A little bit of glazed donut in your belly. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, Django Reinhardt was a Belgium-born gypsy traveled around and eventually he would kind of make his home in France in the early 1900s where he discovers and absolutely falls in love with jazz. He was a banjo enthusiast um, who suffered, yeah, I know you usually hear those words together, banjo (laughs) and enthusiast. He was a banjo enthusiast who, I mean, given his nature, his, his gypsy background in, in Europe in the time, he, he had a number of setbacks in his life. Challenges he faced throughout his life. Perhaps the most significant setback came one night as Django was on his way to bed. He bumped into a candle. They lived in a caravan. If you've seen pictures of early 20th century gypsy caravans, elaborate, just filled with decorations and cloth and and all sorts of stuff. A candle fell over on his way to bed and, and lit the entire caravan. It all went up into flames. Django dragged himself and his wife through the fire to safety, but suffered extensive burns on his left hand. He received first and second degree burns over half of his body. His right leg was paralyzed and the fourth and fifth fingers of his left hand were also badly burned. Doctors believed that he would never play the guitar again uh, and that they intended to amputate even one of his legs. Reinhardt refused to have the surgery and left the hospital after just a short time. He was able to walk within a year with the aid of a cane. However, two of his fingers, these two I believe, were paralyzed for the duration of his life. Yet, 
due to his complete, you can turn it up a little bit, yet, due to his complete delight in music and his discipline towards music, Django would become one of the greatest jazz guitarists the world had ever seen. If you listen to him, just listening to him move his finger up and down that fretboard, it's like a knife slicing warm butter. I'm talking smooth, all right? And jazz guitar is not an easy thing, probably one of the more difficult things to play, but Django played it well. You can bring it down. One of the greatest jazz guitarists of all time. None of that, none of that would have been possible without this beautiful union that Django possessed of delight and discipline. In verse 11 of Psalm 119, we read a description of what Christian aspiration is. For Django, his aspiration was to become a phenomenal jazz guitar player. What is the aspiration of the Christian? In Psalm 119.11, we read, With my whole heart I seek you. Wholehearted devotion should be the longing of our souls, the center of our life. As we consider resolutions or rule of life that we seek to put in place with the new year, all of those things should find their footings in our devotion to the Lord. They should be tethered to our longing for Jesus and our desire to grow in likeness of him. It, this is a reflection of what is at the center of our life. Whatever you, as you contemplate New Year's resolutions, what areas in your life potentially that you want to grow and see change, what, whatever you could tether those things back to, you want that to be the center of your life. And for the Christian, our, we want full-hearted, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is how God has created us. We, he has created humans with this, it's said before that there's this God-sized hole in our heart, a hole in our life that only God himself can fill. St. Augustine put it this way, he wrote in his confessions, you have made us for yourself. God made himself, made us for himself. Oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Until we find a way to fill that God-sized hole with God himself, we will be restless people. The Ten Commandments summarized simply by loving God and, and loving others. This is a reflection of our love for God. The love that we have for others is a reflection of the love that we have for God. God wants our whole heart. And until he occupies the center of our hearts and lives, we simply will be settling for second best. This is the Christian aspiration, full-hearted, wholehearted devotion to God. What I want to show you this morning, what I think Psalm 119, these few verses here in Psalm 119 show us, is that delighting in God's word and discipline towards God's word are necessary full for wholehearted devotion to God. If the Lord wills one year from now, as we look back at 2018, what we don't want to see is half-hearted complacency, drift from the Lord. To say it another way, 
when we consider our friend Django, what propelled him to proficiency was a powerful union of passion and practice, delight and discipline. Both are necessary. One without the other simply will not do. Delight, for example, if you just have strong delight, if Django just had a tremendous passion for music with no discipline, he would have been left frustrated. There would have been a longing in his heart that would have gone unmet. Dreams unfulfilled. Delight without discipline. If you have it the other way, discipline where there is no delight will cause us to view the digestion of God's word simply as a chore. If we aren't careful, this will cause us to go down a joyless path of legalistic and self-reliant behavior. Okay? They have to be together. Delight leads to the discipline. They fuel each other. Psalm 119 has a great deal to teach us about delighting in God's word and discipline towards God's word. And so... First point is simply delighting in God's word. The beauty of Psalm 119, this passage is special in so many different ways. It is the longest passage in all of the Bible, the longest chapter with 176 verses. If you were to sit down today and, and simply read through Psalm 119 aloud, it should take you about 10 to 15 minutes easy to read it. It's a long passage. And its composition is also very, very unique. This chapter is what's called an acrostic poem. It's not the only acrostic poem in the Bible, but it's, it's the longest, obviously. It's divided up into 22 different units, as many sections as there are letters in the Hebrew Bible. Each section has exactly eight verses in that section. And the first letter of the first verse of each of these sections begins with that letter that the section begins with. So if you look, my Bible has actually subheadings over each of these sections, and that subheading is the Hebrew letter. So this one is Beth. And every, the beginning of every verse begins with that letter. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem. What the author is doing is he is exhausting language, bringing language, the Hebrew language, to its very end in an attempt to show us that God is an amazing God. That the language itself can go no further to describe not just how awesome God is, but how beautiful, how amazing his word is to us. If you were to go through Psalm 119, you would find eight different words that the author uses synonymously with the word for scripture. Okay? Eight different words. Precepts, commandments, law, word, truth, testimony, statutes. And this is helpful because each word that he uses to describe God's word communicates something different about it. In this section, we have six of the eight testimonies, the idea that God's word bears witness to the goodness and to the greatness, to the majesty of our Lord. Precepts, particular instructions that have mandatory power. The word statutes is used. Commandments and rules is used. The word, word itself the idea that God is a talking God. These words are God's words themselves, spoken from his very mouth. And they tell us exactly what his will is for us. 
All this communicates that this book reveals the very heart, the very will of God. If these are from God, we simply owe him our utmost devotion. If they're not from God, it's great art, nice stories, but nothing that's worth centering our entire life around. See, those are really the two ways that you can approach Scripture. Great stories, wonderful art, great advice, awesome inspiration, or God's Word themselves. There really is no middle ground. And if it's God's Word, then it's worthy of our full devotion. If God is speaking to us, then He's telling us what He wants from us. It's clear this is God, the creator of the universe. We don't have the liberty or the freedom to pick and choose parts of it that we like. All of it is scripture. It's all breathed out by God. There's no room. It's either good writings or something that's worthy of centering your life around. There's really no middle ground there. And here's the deal. As we talk about delighting in the Bible, it's so critical for us to remember that Bible familiarity is not the ultimate goal. Django Reinhardt was not consumed with being the best reader of sheet music. In fact, he was illiterate himself. Or being a jazz apologist. That was not his consuming passion. He wanted to be the best jazz musician. Playing the music for Reinhardt was his goal. Likewise, for the Christian, being familiar with the Bible is not the goal. Like if we look back a year from now and we say, oh, I did that, check that off my list, we shouldn't be able to, like the goal isn't that we are more familiar with the Bible. The goal for the Christian is to be more familiar with God. That's the goal. That is the goal. God himself, he is the goal. A.W. Tozer puts it like this, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Reading the Bible is not the goal. Knowing God is. And the way to that is through his word. God's word is to be delighted in. It is to be treasured. Another reason why we delight in God's word, as we see in this passage, is because God's word is a tool. It offers us some utility, some usefulness. And as a result, we should value it. For example, growing up, my dad made it a habit at Christmas time to give every one of his kids, youngest of five I was, to give every one of his kids, you know, probably when I was around high school is when this tradition started up, but he would, he would bless each and every one of us with a tool, all right? So, you know, 16, 17-year-old, I'm in the living room, and, you know, everybody does the gift exchange thing, and all of a sudden my dad walks out with about, you know, five presents, and you're like, okay, we know where this is going, and he hands the presents out, and you unwrap it, and you, a toilet plunger, you know, something you could use around the house, or... Oh, 
you know, a wrench. Thanks, Dad, you know. And it kind of became a joke after a while, right? Because as a 16-year-old or as 7, I, I don't even have a toilet to plunge. I don't have a house to paint. You see where I'm going with this? There's no utility there for me. I don't value those tools. They would get stuck in my closet, and for year after year, they would just sit there collecting dust. They would not be used. So I did not value the tool. Well, as a grown man who's got five children of myself, I have a house and I have things to do. There's drywall that needs to be fixed. There's toilets occasionally that need to get plunged. I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but it happens. All right. There's a house that needs to get painted. Right, And so now I spend not all of my year, but there's times throughout the year when I'm working on a project and I'm constantly thinking, what tool? Because I know like around Thanksgiving, my dad's going to call and he's going to say, gotten any ideas of a tool that you want this year? And I better be ready with about three or four, you know, good, and I'm talking solid options, all right? Because, you know, I got work to do, right? So now I value this tool that he gives me. I treasure it because I understand, I recognize its usefulness in my life. And if you walk into where I have my workbench and my tools, 75% of those tools came from my dad. And they're, they're banged up and they're nicked up because they're being put to use. I value them. Understanding the usefulness of the Bible helps us to delight in the Bible. So in 119 here in these few verses, we learn something of the nature of the usefulness. In verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. I have treasured your word. I have tucked it into my heart so that when I need it, I know exactly where to find it. Why have I done that? That I might not sin against you. See, there is a usefulness to God's word. By treasuring up, by storing up the word of God, we keep our way pure and guard our lives from slipping into sin. It's one of the primary devices that we have to grow in Christ-likeness is his word keeps us from sin. We see Jesus, when he comes, he puts God's word to work right away. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, when he is met by the devil who tempts him three times over and over and over again, tempting him, trying to get Jesus himself to sin. How does Jesus combat Satan? Three times Jesus starts by saying something, it is written. Why can Jesus do that? I mean, at this point in his life, he is a grown man because Jesus had God's word stored up in his heart. He had it stored up so that when Satan approached him, Jesus had a weapon to defeat him. The story ends by saying the devil left him. Jesus was victorious over the devil's schemes because he put the word of God to use. See, if we aren't convinced that this book is useful in our lives, we will not delight in it. It will not give us joy. We won't put it to work. 
It is useful. It is necessary. It is a treasure which we should delight in. But there's a problem. This desire to delight in God's word is not natural. It's not natural for me. It's not natural for you. If left to myself, if we were left to ourselves, there exists in our flesh a tendency to drift, to drift away from God and the life that he has called us to, to fill that God-sized hole that exists in our heart with the pleasures of this world, not the promises of his word. The good news is that this wholehearted devotion, the aspiration as Christians that we live to, this healthy spiritual communion with the most holy is the result of God's grace towards us. Not even our best efforts. Christ came because our best wasn't good enough and won't be. Like if you were to flip over in Psalm 119 and go to verses 33 through 40, this is for me a section that I have the beginning of each one of these words, uh, verses underlined. And a lot of times when I go into study of God's word, I flip to this passage right away. And this turns into a prayer for me. Because what we see the psalmist do is he is in a state of dependency on God. Any revelation that he has of God's word, any revealing of truth that's in God's word isn't the result of his effort and his work or his commentaries or, or his sermons that he has downloaded on his uh, iPhone that he listens to at the gym. The result of the, the revelation that he has of God's word is the result of God's grace in his life. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart. Bend my heart so it lines up and bends towards you, God. The psalmist is on his knees. You can see him crying out to God. Teach me. Unite me. Incline my heart. Show me your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise. He's crying out to God that God would reveal himself to the psalmist. Because here's the truth, people. There are many of people who will pick up the same book we have in our laps right now, the same one that I'm reading from. They will pick it up, and you know what will happen? Nothing. They will try, maybe, to study it, to memorize it. Maybe they grew up with it as a foundation in their lives, but do you know what? By the end of their lives, there's no full-hearted, whole-hearted devotion towards God. Our goal to know God, the only way we achieve that is by his grace in our life. And he uses his word to do it. The desire that we have for his word will drive us to disciplining ourselves in his word. When the fire is sustained by mere embers and they're beginning to turn to ash, discipline is like adding a log onto the fire. Stokes the fire with air. Discipline feeds it. Here's the deal. Some of us will leave here this morning, maybe determined, okay, 2018 is going to look different, right? I'm going to be in my word. 
uh, this is the way my day is going to look. This is the way my week is going to look. My year is going to look. I'm going to really get in God's word. We will come up with a plan. And I hope you do that. I hope you leave today thinking of at least one, maybe two practical things you can do to discipline yourself to get in God's word. So you will leave here maybe today, hopefully, prayerfully you will, determined to be devoted to God and discipline in his word. But let me tell you something real quick. You're going to make a plan. You might put it on your calendar, but failure is on the horizon. Okay? Thanks, Doug, for the real pick-me-up. It's on the horizon. Okay? There will be days when you will not get in God's word. The plan that you have will not work maybe some week. And just like God has given us his grace to reveal us his truth, we have to be gracious with ourselves. Okay, we have to allow there to be times, a day, rather than to be discouraged. Because if you're like me, I could put a plan in place. And I could be like, oh my goodness, I haven't been in God's word for two days. Like it's falling apart. I can slowly feel guilty. That guilt will lead to discouragement. And pretty soon that discouragement will just bring me to a place where I'm like, forget it. The Bible reading plan is out. I'm done. It's a wrap. Okay? And that's what Satan wants. That's what he wants. So that's why discipline is so important. Discipline is so important. So what we're going to do is I just want to show us a few things in the second half here that will help you, maybe give you some ideas for how you can discipline yourself in God's word. First thing we see in verse 11 is I want to challenge you to memorize scripture, to memorize scripture. In verse 11, he says that he has stored up your word in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart. The entire notion of storing up God's word, this is what I call the pirate verse. Okay, like a pirate takes a treasure, finds a treasure and puts it somewhere and then makes a map so he knows how to get back to that treasure. Storing up God's word works the same thing. So we, we take God's word and we store it up so that we know where to go to it when we need it. It's the idea of memorizing our Bible. That which is the most valuable or important to us, we store up. Another word would be treasure. Another word, I think it's the King James Version says, to hide God's word. Okay, Matthew Henry says, God's word is a treasure worth laying up. And there is no laying it up safely, but in our hearts. If we have it only in our houses or in our hands, enemies may take it from us. If, we, if it's only in our heads, our memories will fail us. But if it's in our hearts, if our hearts be delivered into the mold of it and the impressions of it remain on our souls, it is safe. It can't go anywhere. Nobody can take it from us. See, sometimes I think um, maybe a temptation would be for us to think Bible memory, um, verse memorization is primarily for, for children. Maybe you do that in Sunday school. You do that if you go to private school or maybe Awana would be the place that you would do that. But this is an area that I have, like, honestly just not been that good at in the past, historically. So in the past year, it's one that I have tried to really up my game in, okay, is memorizing God's word. So incredibly helpful and so useful. Two ways, there's kind of two trains of thought on how you can do this, 
okay? I'm going to give you two names, and both of these guys have a plan in place. And you can write the names down and Google them. The first one will be the traditional way, all right, that you simply write down. Let's say, you do a, let's say you're going to read a big chunk of Scripture. You're going to memorize, let's say, for example, the Beatitudes. And so what you do is you would start in Matthew 5, and you would just write down on the card the first verse. You would memorize that, commit that to memory, go over and over and over again. The next day you would add, you would recite that, remember it, and then add another verse. And you just continue to build, right? Um, Andy Davis is a pastor, I believe he's out east, who is known for this, and he has memorized, committed to memory some 43 books of the Bible. And it's the traditional memorizing in small chunks and largely over time repeating it. It takes a while, commit it to memory, okay? There's another way, and this was one that if for you guys who maybe like to be a little different, if you want to grow in verse memorization, this would be a name to write down and go watch a YouTube video later. His name is Ronnie White. This is the one I used this year, experimented with a little bit, okay? He has a very non-traditional way of memorizing uh, scripture. Um, if you've ever read, there's a book out that's called um, Moonwalking with Einstein. I don't know if anybody's heard this book, Moonwalking with Einstein. This guy named Joshua Four does a TED Talk about, like, there's these memory competitions all over, and he's like this memory champion of the world or whatever. But what they do is they memorize big chunks of scripture. Like, it took me, with his method, it took me about 10 minutes to memorize um, all of the Beatitudes and through... Um, I think verse 16 of Matthew 5, okay, about 10 minutes. What he does is you create these mental maps. It's going to sound really weird, but you think of a room in your house and a room that doesn't change too often that has furniture. And you go to each, you make a map around the room and you would assign, let's say you start with a, a couch and you think of a couch and you create these interesting word pictures that you place on that couch with words that cue you to the verse. And then you just go around the room. It's really bizarre, okay? So if you're interested in it, but I promise you, it's super, super effective and very powerful. Like I still have these crazy pictures in my mind. The reason why it's controversial is because rather than thinking of the scripture itself, you when you think of the verses, you think of these pictures that you've kind of created. So it's a little different, um, but you can, you can memorize tremendous amounts of scripture in a very fast, um, a very quick amount of time. So Ronnie White is the name. If you want to Google that, go for it. Great tool. Next thing we learn is that we should not just memorize scripture, we should also study scripture. We see in verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. He is asking for God to teach it to him, which implies the idea that he is going to study it for deeper understanding. It's not enough to know and to commit to memory. We want to gain proper understanding and to think rightly about what scripture says, okay? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. We can approach a lot of times scripture through our own cultural lens. And in current, you know, evangelical world, that word is even you know, not super helpful anymore, to be honest. Um, a lot of times we look through it, not just through our lens, but through a lens that somebody else has forced on us, maybe a Eurocentric lens. What we want to do is we want to get to the proper right thinking of what Scripture says. So a couple of things I, would, I found helpful recently in studying Scripture. The first thing I want to say is that the Bible should be our primary source. All right. Other tools can be useful, but trends in our, in our culture a lot of times tend to say that the Bible is simply good for, it's useful for good advice, or perhaps another word that's common is inspiration. Like the Bible just gives us inspiration. God's word we know is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. There's times you read the Bible and it's not going to inspire you. It's going to cut against what you think and want. Right? It's going to challenge you. It's going to convict you. It's going to hurt. It's not always going to feel good when you read the Bible. Okay? It's not always going to be inspirational. 
What I want to challenge you to do is to consider reading through whole books at a time. Re- reading through whole books at a time. So you dive into scripture. You're not just reading two or three verses. Maybe at our daily bread, like I see that thing being useful sometimes, but if our soul spiritual feeding happens in our daily bread, it's going to be lacking, okay? You need to read the Bible. I would recommend reading it in its entirety, but really think about reading whole books at a time. Um, on the Desiring God website, there's a picture, Liz, I think you can put it up there. Um, they have a graph. This is the New Testament. And what it shows you is how long it takes you, if you were to read scripture, how long it takes you to read each of those books. So what I've been in the habit of doing is when I do some deeper studying of the scripture, I'll look at how much time I have and I'll be like, okay, today I'm going to devote an hour. Which book should I read? And I'll find, okay, Romans could take me an hour to read through that. And I'll find a book that matches with the time. Okay, so that even, so obviously, you know, there might be some times where me and Titus, like, we're cool, right? Okay, <laughs> we got, got Titus down, got seven minutes this morning, Titus is you and me, okay? That can be the challenge, is that sometimes you really have to be intentional about setting aside larger chunks. Like Psalm 119 is a blessing, it's probably for me this year, has been the largest blessing in my life, has been discovering the beauty of Psalm 119. Okay, but this is an awesome tool that I use. Find it on the website and you just, you just line it up. This is how much time I'm setting aside. And you can plan this way too, all right? For me, another thing that has been really helpful has been in the book of Psalms. So what I'll do is whatever day of the week it is, so today is the 31st, I will go into the book of Psalms and I will look up, I'll read the Psalm, I'll read Psalm 31 and then I'll just keep adding 30. So you end up reading five Psalms throughout the day. Every month you read the entire book of Psalms. All right. Another thing I do when I read that I've done that's newer this year for me is when I read, I read it out loud. I stopped reading quietly in my head because if I read it quietly in my head, when I read it quietly in my head, and there's times when I do that, but when I'm like having my time with Jesus, I try to read it out loud, even just quietly. Because what happens is when those words are coming out, it's hard for my mind to drift anywhere else. Okay. But if I'm quietly reading it, in my room even, distractions free, the phone is off, and it's quiet in my head, my mind will begin to drift. So a challenge I would have for you is to just read God's word out loud. Read entire books. Um, Do this in community as well. Another picture that you could show, Liz, when I do deeper studies, this is a picture of what, so Mark 6, when we talked about um, Jesus calming storms in our life. What, what I'll do is, you can't read any of this and don't worry about it, I'll explain it to you. But what I'll do is the, the first portion, the top, you'll see that there's like three, there's two bars that are in blue ink across the bottom. You see those two bars going across? The top of that is scripture, okay? So that's Mark 6, 45 through 52. I'll r- just write it down, right? There is connection between us writing it and what's going into our minds, like as we're learning it, okay? So I'll make sure and write the passage down. Then underneath that bar, this blue bar right here, this is very unconventional. If this is your first time at Parkview East, this is not normal for me preaching, okay? This section right here is me taking the top section, God's words, and putting it into my own words. So what I'm really looking for in this section here is what is the big idea of this passage? What's God saying it? And then I try to articulate it in my own words. What's he saying? And then the last section, which is when I read scripture, my primary goal is how do I obey what he's saying? And so what I do is I try to come up with what I call obedience statements. And these obedience statements start simply with the words, I will. So based on what I just read, what I believe he is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Because a lot of times we'll read it and then we won't change anything in our lives. 
right? But we want to read it because reading the Bible isn't our goal. Knowing God is our goal, all right? So that's a way that you can study. That's been helpful for me in the last couple of years. Well, it's, that one's for free this morning. Maybe you can find it helpful too, all right? Um, the next thing that we learn is that we should meditate on Scripture. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. All the ways that we are to interact with the Scripture listed here, culturally speaking, this is probably the most foreign for us culturally. There's reasons why we struggle to meditate. I think um, distractions, like in our world today, just is filled with distractions. The pace of life in general is difficult. We feel like if we're sitting idle, reading God's word, like we're idle. We're not doing anything. And so we want to be active and we want to do stuff. The pace of life is fighting against it. But then also I think our consumeristic mentality is, keeps us from meditating as well. Because a lot of times we don't sit down like in our consumer-driven culture. It's all about what I want, what's going to be useful to me. It's all about me, me, me. Okay, what I get from it. And a lot of times from meditation, what you're really trying to do is take your eyes off of you and put them on Jesus. All right? And you may not see the payoff right away. And so who's got time for that? Okay? But meditation is a powerful, powerful tool. In Joshua, when God commissions Joshua to take over after Moses in verse 8 of chapter 1, so what it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. So you know it so that you can obey it. We see that happening there. Um, For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. And the word meditate there That word is an agricultural term, which refers to a cow chewing on its cud, kind of like a slow murmur. It's actually voice, right? It's like God's word is coming out of the mouth. Read it aloud. Meditate on it. God's word is planted deep within us. It requires solitude. It requires silence. And a lot of us won't do it because we think it's a monastic sort of tradition. Meditation is all throughout the Bible. And it's something that we should have a, a, a regular practice, even if it's one day, maybe a month, that we just set a, you know, an hour aside to just be still, to, to have God's word and to listen to him, right? To have his word open and have his spirit be sensitive to where his spirit is taking us with his word and just listen to what God would have for us. Meditate on it. And verse 13 also says that we should declare God's word as well. It should be something that we speak of on a regular basis, that we come here, like when we gather on Sunday mornings, God's word is going to be opened, and everything that I hopefully say, my prayer is that it comes from this book. It's the primary thing. It's what unites us as a people, and it should drive us not just to how we should live our lives, but also how we should reach those around us as well. So big idea for today is delight in God's word, as you think about 2018 and your interaction with scripture, my two challenges would be to find delight in God's word. Start small, delight in his word, and then discipline yourself so that you are in the regular habit of being in God's word. When it fails, when the plan doesn't work, grace. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Grace. Sometimes I say, when I set a goal like, okay, I want to do this maybe three or four times a week rather than saying every single day, right? So that way when I miss a day or another day, like it's okay, okay? Because ultimately our salvation is not based on our efforts, but God's grace towards us. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this day.
Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to just look at another year ahead of us. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be a people who would just get excited about this book that you have given us, that we would delight in it, we would see the usefulness of it, Father, that we would discipline ourselves towards it, Lord, and that the result of your people being firmly planted in your word um, would be wholehearted devotion to you. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.